The Crossman Conversation brought to you today by Community Legal Services, Maynard Cooper, Frontier Partners, by Crossmark Services, and Roto Speaks. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. The Crossman Conversation is hosted by John Crossman. John's heart is to see our community of leaders unite around what we have in common. John will be joined by political leaders, religious leaders, as well as activists making a difference in our nation. Here is your host for the Crossman Conversation, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation. Hey, Mike. Hey, my friend. Listen, how are you? Another program. It's great. Listen, uh, before we get started, quick story for you. Yeah. Okay. Now, listen. I grew up in kind of an interesting household, you know, because my dad, he was a pastor and a civil yeah, rights leader. And, well-known and, guy. Well-known guy. And the thing about it is, is that if you were watching the news, like we were in it, like in the sense of like, if some if an issue came up, like there was a famous flood in West Virginia and like we're sending people up there to help out with that, you know, there's issues with, uh, you know, the, the porn industry was ramping up in the community and like my dad's out there protesting that or any number, but we were West Palm Beach's anti-Semitic activity. Like my dad's on the front lines, you know, fighting about that. Mm. So that's kind of the ethos like is in, right. me, in my it's family. Like your DNA. Right. You know? And so I always have these moments where I, I look at societal issues and I think, gosh, you know, what can we do? What can be a part of it? Like, how can we, how can we make an impact in the world? You know? And I'm not saying like, uh, like I'm right and other people are wrong. I'm just saying like, when I have this conclusion, you know, I just feel it deep, the deepest part of my soul, this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think if, if you know this, but I really like HBCUs. I don't know if you've, yeah, I, I, I don't kinda, know if you've ever like, yeah, I've, me, I've heard that a few times. Mention yeah. that. And you know, uh, the number one ranked HBCU in America is Florida A&M University. FAMU. That I have, you know, I've long, like 30 year history with So this is like a big deal to me. You know, you're not going to believe this. Our guest today is one of maybe the most recognized, well-respected chair of the FAMU board of trustees. Now just simply retired from that role still, but still a trustee. Trustee Kelvin Lawson is on the line with us. Trustee Lawson, are you there? I am here. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. We're so grateful to have you. Glad to be here, guys. Thank you. So start off with this. Tell me a little bit about, um, uh, just to start with HBCUs. When, if someone here say to you, like, man, you know, like, why, do we, why don't we still have these? Or, or do we still need HBCUs? Like, talk about the ethos of the, the connectivity of the HBCU world first. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think there's still a definitive need. Um, and it, it, it's an ecosystem that educates a unique population of students, not that they couldn't be educated at a, at a um, majority institution, but some people, some students, learn better in an environment that's more akin to them culturally, more akin to them in uh, just how they were reared. And and it's more of a safety uh, system for them. And again, some of those same students could make it at a a majority institution, but if they had a choice to choose, a good portion of them would choose to be in an environment that they just perceive to be more nurturing. You know what I compare that to, uh, Trustee Lawson, is that... um... Uh, my two daughters uh, went K through 12 in the public school system, and my wife and I were intentional about that. When it came to college, we told me like, you could go anywhere you want, wherever you want to go. And they both chose smaller private Christian universities, right? And although my wallet does not appreciate that, sir, I need to tell you that, um, I do as a human level, we appreciate the fact that they saw they wanted that specific type of nurturing to them 
and that onboarding for that window of life, right? And so each kid needs to figure out what's the best match for them. And so for some of them, that that the the special nurturing wrapper and resources of an HBCU can be very impactful. Is that correct? I, I would agree. And you know, as even my own experience, you know, there's six children in my family. We're all first generation college students. Two of us went to an HBCU and, and four of, the, of us, four of them rather, went to a, a majority institution. So I think it's it's individualized and it's child dependent based on what their particular needs are. And isn't it also interesting that I think the alumni associations of HBCUs tend to be more lifelong partners uh, than than the majority of universities, you know, like you know, I, I you know I went to FSU, and I and I know that if I accomplish something, FSU is certainly proud of me. But man, when you see an HBCU grad ascend to something, they really get the support of their alums and the HBCU nation at, at a at a greater, uh, larger example. Is, is that correct? It, it is correct, and I think it has something to do with pride, and I think it has something to do with the feeling of overcoming uh, significant obstacles. <clears throat> In addition to that. It's also size. So, for example, our alumni association is only 80,000 strong. Now, if you were to compare that to an FSU or UCF or one of the other large institutions in the state, they may have over 300 or more thousand alums out there. And it's just difficult to maintain contact with that many people. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I think I told you I was at this conference uh, with uh, Malik Gilba in Brooklyn a few months ago. And the, the mayor of uh, New York City was one of the speakers, and I was one of the speakers. And I'm talking to this audience. Uh, there, there were four FAMU grads in the audience. Four. There were zero FSU grads, but there were four FAMU grads in that audience, which is pretty amazing, right? So you have a, you have a, a decent-sized alumni base, and you know, it's 80,000, but also it's an influential alumni base as well. And so that, that comes into play on top of that, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, and, and it, it's really interesting because I, I think we do have a pretty influential alumni base, but our alumni, again, they're easier to connect with because of the numbers, right? The numbers are not, you know, as, as great as they are at a large institution. And I think our alumni take great pride in the accomplishments of each other. And in addition to that, it, it's a pretty close-knit group of people. And, and quite frankly, they're one of our biggest recruiting arms bring new students to the university. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think, uh, and I think Mike, you'd, you'd find this interesting as well. It's like, um, think about the story of Dion Sanders, right? So, yeah, so, great so, story. Yeah. So Dion was at FSU and of course, a lot of people don't know, you know, FSU fam, you, you know, share a college of engineering. So they're close related and Dion has his whole big career, right? But then he goes and he coaches at Jackson state and all of a sudden that brought him into HBCU world, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but there was still, and I was sad to see this, honestly, I was sad to see this, that there were very open statements like, well, he was successful at an HBCU. And then some of his players, well, they're excited at HBCU. Does that translate yeah, to division one? Yeah. That was very hurtful, right? Yeah, I mean, it was not good. Listen, well, if you look at the, like, um, the NFL hall of fame, HBCU is dominated. <laughs> like you think about Walter Payton and Jerry Rice and it goes on and on. So when Coach Sanders goes to Colorado in that first game, you know, his son quarterback throws for 500 yards against a top 25 team, it, it was like a statement of like, whoa, it kind of, it, it, it was seen, I think, in a very positive light by HBCU world. I so here's agree, a guy that yeah. did, he didn't go to it, he coached at one, but that community really wrapped around that. Yeah. So 
So did I get that right, Trustee Lawson? Did you did you sense that as well? Yeah, I I, I did. I, I think that the 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 HBCU community took a, a moment of pride and Dion going to Colorado and then, you know, winning at Colorado and then his son coming out of Jackson state and playing at a very competitive level um, when he got to Colorado. So I, I think it, it reaffirmed that the quality is the same. It's the difference in some cases is just location. Um, and I, and I think that the HBCU world took great, um, pride in watching both Dion and his son uh, become successful at Colorado. And I, I think it just goes to, you know, the Jerry Rice's, the Michael Strahan's and the Walter Payton's of the world that went to these smaller schools, but yet their talents continue to progress when they, when they arrived at the next level. Well, yeah, I had to tell you this story, uh, uh, Trustee Lawson. I was recently in Los Angeles and I was there giving uh, a lecture and I had a panel that was leading and this group of people was like a who's who of the most influential, powerful people in commercial real estate in the U.S. I mean, all these big, you know, BlackRock and big, big companies that you know, people would, would know. And the person that was on my panel that was the most impressive. And honestly, I went home and was like, I need to get better at presentations because their presentation was so much better than mine. Um, they are the CEO of their own private company, formerly president of a, of a REIT, is a FAMU grad, is a FAMU grad. And so to me, it's like, it's, it's, there's so many positive things about it. And at the end of the day, there is exceptional talent that comes out. And I see it over and over and over again. Um, uh, so um, let me switch gears and just to talk a little, we're going to have to take a break in just a couple minutes, but let's start talking about FAMU. Um, you mean like just big picture highlights of things that you feel like are going the right trajectory at, at 40 Yeah. Yeah, yeah, John. I, I, yeah, I really appreciate that question because I, I wanted to kind of use this also as a little bit of a commercial for the institution. Um, so we are super excited about this whole um, march toward the top 100. You know, because for a long time, you know, we've measured ourselves against other HBCUs, and don't get me wrong, that that's a good yardstick. But to really compete for the best and brightest students now, we have to measure ourselves against the rest of the world. And I'm real pleased to say, John, and, and, and you, you're going to get more and more of this now that you're part of the Board of Trustees, we've now ascended to number 91 of all universities across the country, which is just a huge testament to FAMU. And along the way, we've now become the number one HBCU of both public and private, meaning we've surpassed you know great schools like Howard and Morehouse and Spelman College in Atlanta. Um, those are great institutions, don't get me wrong, but now, based on the ranking systems, we've surpassed those institutions. And we're also the number one institution for what's known as social mobility. And that's a really interesting term because I really didn't completely understand it until a couple of years ago. And that is, simply put, it's taking a person from where they are and transcending them you know, a couple of economic levels above. And, and literally for you know some of our students that are coming out of Households where the combined family income is fifty thousand, and their first job out of college, their individual income could be anywhere from seventy to a hundred thousand. You know, we've literally transitioned that person, you know, a couple of economic levels above their entire family. So it, it's it's those types of things. You know, when you kind of step back as a trustee and say, does your work matter, and, and do the things that you decide on, and the the you know debates that you have around trying to make the school better, do those things matter? When you see that level of trajectory of some of our graduates, 
you absolutely know that, that things matter. So, John, I, you know, I really appreciate that question because there's so much going on. We had the largest single fundraising year ever this past year. And most of that money came from uh, organizations and foundations and corporations, which means that those individuals see value in investing in, in, in Florida and m University. So, you know, just a number of things going well. Now, clearly school is not perfect, but just a number of, of items moving in the right direction. Well, I, um, I want to pull that thread, my friend. I got more I want to ask you about that. We're going to take just a quick break and then come back, and I want to do a deeper dive on uh, some of the really cool, important things happening at Florida M University. Uh, this is John Crossmore. We're taking a quick break from the Crossmore Conversation. Managing a team that has a lack of accountability and effective communication can be frustrating. Bill Roto-Rooter can help you build a cohesive team and a collaborative work environment. As a retired commander of the Navy's premier training system and research development organization, Roto has the experience to help you build trust and a high-performing team as you navigate high-pressure situations. To schedule a complimentary call with Roto, go to rotospeaks.com and complete the form and put the Crossman conversation in the message field. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally who serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to day to day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit MaynardCooper.com. Community Legal Services is a civil legal aid organization providing no-cost legal help to the underserved. They call it Legal Aid for All. Their attorneys assist with legal issues related to family law, housing, domestic violence, veterans' benefits, and much more. Community Legal Services is a community-supported program. To learn more and help support the mission, visit clsmf.org. That's clsmf.org. Community Legal Services. Legal Aid for All. Crossmock Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. Are you willing to serve communities in crisis around the world to people who are impoverished, oppressed, and persecuted? Frontier Partners International offers mission opportunities in areas least served to meet the needs of the helpless, hapless, and hopeless, and is currently serving earthquake survivors in Syria. Share the love and joy of Christ and give the gift of a hope-filled future to someone in desperate need. Learn more at FrontierPartners.org. That's FrontierPartners.org. Once again, here is John Crossman. We're back here at the Crossman Conversation with uh, trustee Kelvin Lawson, who really needs to be chair emeritus forever <laughs> for all the great work he's done at Florida M University. And uh, we're talking about a couple of different key things. And, and I wanted to say, in my own opinion, I think something key, and I want your response to that, if that's okay. The first one is this, uh, you know, I am a lifelong Floridian. I'm a big fan of our state. You know, like anytime something good's happening to Florida, I, I'm, I'm for that, right? And um, when I think about important things for our state, 
And again, I mean, this no disrespect University of Florida. I mean, we have a scholarship there. We're very, very much fans. But, you know, Florida is currently ranked whatever they are, like seven, and they moved to number six, you know, in overall rankings. Like, people would celebrate that. And I'm like, well, that's, it's good. For sure, it's good. At the same time, FAMU, State University, um, breaking the top 100 is way more important for our state than a little nominal movement by Florida, right? It's like, in my mind, if we can get FAMU into the top 50, when we think about how does that represent our state? How do we attract businesses to our state? How do we, how do we get more companies to move from New York or LA or Chicago and move their headquarters to different parts of our state? The success and ranking of Florida A&M University and our law school and all our different programs, it, it, it's a win for every business in the state. Is that accurate? Am I, is that making sense? Yeah, I think so, John. I mean, I think we're we're looking at a situation where, you know, I, I saw the stats the other day. I think there's like a couple hundred thousand people moving to the state a month. Um, our economy is ranked for just for the state of Florida, 16th globally. Meaning, if Florida was a standalone nation, it would be the 16th largest economy in the world. Mm. So, you know, when you look at stats like that, and then you look at the significant shortage. Uh, of tech employees, you look at the significant shortage of nurses, and, and as more and more people come to Florida, those those disciplines are only going to be exacerbated, right? So, you know, you look at FAMU's role in that, and you say, for an institution that's producing well-trained, um, well-educated scholars in some of those key fields, whether it be law, whether it be nursing, whether it be pharmacy, whether it be engineering, you know, we're, we're feeding into a growing economy. So our place in that um, is, is solid. And particularly if a company is looking to diversify their workforce, what better place to look for students other than Florida a and University? And, and the thing that I like about what we're trying to create at the university is not just, you know, having a, a diverse student, but a strong student, period. And that's why, you know, we're focused on things like graduation rate, placement post-graduation, where's the student placed and what's their earning uh, level. We're focused on retention rate. We're, we're focused on providing our students with a ton of wraparound services when they get to us such that they stay with us, they matriculate through, and then they're prepared for work after college. All of that coming together in a very big way. And then let me let me wrap on top of that this, and you and you touched on it earlier, is the impact that can have on generational impact, right? Like, you know, I uh, I was at a conference one time and they were talking about the importance of diversity. And sometimes what, what I hear corporations want is they want the kid that is black that's graduating from Harvard with their MBA. And I'm kind of like, I don't know that that kid really needs that much help for me, right? But the kid that is coming from the household in Florida uh, that maybe is a first generation to college and they're coming to FAMU and they're getting an education and then they're getting alumni support, the trajectory of that family, it's unbelievable the impact, right? Like if that kid goes to Harvard or he goes to Yale or he goes to like, like he's going to do great. He or she's going to do great. But the, the impact at FAMU is far more deeply penetrating to the overall family and future generations. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think it is, John. So, so another stat, 67% of our students are Pell eligible, mm-hmm. right, which means that they're coming from 
predominantly low-income households. And that's just a fact. Um, but we're taking that same student that has not had exposure to, you know, investment strategy or an investment counselor or an estate planner, et cetera, and we're preparing them and educating them and exposing them via internships and externships to what is happening in the larger world of, of, of economics such that when they come out of college, they're prepared to deal with those things. They're prepared to step into the world earning significantly more than their parents, and in some cases, more than their entire household. And as you know, John, as an individual earns more, their exposure grows. With exposure comes added learning. With the added learning becomes the ability to invest, the ability to create generational for, you know, for folks coming after you. And, and we just feel so good about this social mobility metric that we've started to utilize because we're truly transforming, you know, individual lives. So you, you take a, a young man or young woman from an impoverished background, you educate them well, you push them out into society, they become a strong earner, an avid taxpayer. They're learning more and more about how to invest and prepare for their own futures. And even, John, you know, you've seen in, in our foundation now where we're talking about legacy giving, right, where, you know, we're talking about leaving endowments, you know, after you're, you know, you've left this earth, you set it up such that your life insurance policy pays back to the university. So those types of things that some of our students are able to do, um, you know, are, are just amazing. And again, could they do that going to a majority institution? Absolutely, they could. But we're trying to create an environment such that they're getting the same quality of education, but they're getting it in a social environment that is very accommodating and comfortable for them. I have uh, two last things I want to mention. This is so helpful, by the way. Thank you for all of this. The first one is this. Um, I think I've been on the FAMU uh, Foundation Board for about 10 years, something like that. It's been a while. And uh, Chair Lawson, every time I walk into a physical FAMU Foundation board meeting, this is the thought I have in my head. I am the dumbest, ugliest, poorest person in this room. Where in the world did all these rich Menza models come from? Like, it is so impressive. And I've told friends of mine, I'm like, if you had to pick your doctor, your lawyer, your financial advisor, and your accountant, I could keep going, out of the people in the, on the Family Foundation board, you would consider yourself lucky. It's ridiculous. And so that, that uh, active involvement of alums in leadership and then them kind of talking to young people, and it gives them uh, aspirations and vision of what they can do for life. It's, it's awesome. It's just absolutely awesome. Um, so uh, one other quick thing I want to mention to you is this, is that uh, uh, many years ago, FAMU started a real estate club, and I think it may be the first HBCU to start a real estate club. And now it's this vibrant club, and kids have graduated from that. In fact, the vice president of Crossmark Services was a part of that and doing quite well here. I hope she'll take her my company at some point. Um, I recently was at a conference at FSU and they always do such a good job, but I was looking at the audience and they may have a, you know, 150, 200 students who are you know, involved in real estate. There was one black student, one. And so sometimes I hear people saying, John, won't this problem kind of solve itself, right? Like, aren't we just getting to a tipping point of diversity? And I'm like, well, maybe in some pockets that's true and that's wonderful, but I still see it. Like if it, like in Tallahassee, there's like, 40 kids at FAMU involved in this real estate club. FSU, there's a real estate major, and there's one there's one kid of color. So without the intentionality, 
it's not happening. So I just still feel like even in my own little slice of the pie, the intentionality effort is still very much needed. So do you see that as well? Yeah, John, I, I, I do. And, and you know, I'm not a fan of quotas and, and those types of things. Right, right. But I, I think an intentional push to um, promote diversity and inclusion is still needed. And I'll give you a prime example. As you know, I just got back from Orlando. And I was at the Florida Board of Governors meeting, and we had what's called a trustee summit, which is all the other trustees from all the other universities attend and, you know, their workshops, et cetera. And you look around that room, and there was a table of African-Americans that were all from FAMU, and there were one or two scattered around the room of probably 300 people. So you say to yourself, well, we're not actively participating on the boards of these other universities. Why is that? Is that we were not invited? We were not, um, we did not apply. But anyway, the point that I'm making is without an intentional effort, the reputation, the, the representation is still going to be sparse. So for those organizations that, that create intentionality around, hey, I want to promote a diverse workforce, whether it be gender, whether it be ethnicity, whether it be sexual orientation, those companies, in my opinion, are going to win because you know, when you walk into a room to recruit, students of today want to see people that look and act and behave like them. When you are dealing at a certain level selling your goods and services, that person on the other side of the table wants to know that your company is really representative of the communities that you're doing business in. So I think it's going to be a continue or there needs to be a continued push for inclusion. And inclusion includes, you know, that to me that's a very broad term. But, John, I absolutely feel that we're, we're not yet evolved enough to walk away from our, our um, push for DEI. Well, I agree with you completely, and I'm so grateful for all that you're doing and all the impact you have made. Because, man, the work you've done, you know, it's it, some people might look at what you've done over the, the many years you've involved FAMU and say, hey, that's great, he helped out FAMU. You have made our state a better place to live for everybody. I truly and passionately emphatically believe that. So thank you. And I think they continued, listen, I, there's work I'm going to keep doing and plan on doing, strive to do for Florida a but uh, I couldn't do it and others couldn't do it if you hadn't done what you did previously. So thank you for all you've done for me and so many others. Well, John, thank you. Uh, you know, you're very gracious in your remarks, but trust me, I had a ton of help. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've tried to pull in the right people, the right type, with the right mindset to help me get these things done. And as I pass the baton to our new chair, I feel really good that we have a good group of board members that are engaged, that are highly motivated to make Florida m even better. And, you know, that was the reason I, I was so excited when you decided to join our board as well, because I truly believe that you're going to bring an additional spark, uh, an, an additional level of insight uh, to our board to keep us moving forward. Well, I'm so honored. I'll, I'll make this final thought is this. I would never tell somebody to not recruit at their alma mater. You keep recruiting your alma mater. I'm just saying add the HBCUs in your area. Add them. I think if you recruit at Florida, Florida State, UCF every year, and then you add FAMU, you're going to have it. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna appreciate it and make that connection. And keep in mind, we have a full-ride scholarship at UF that's only for HBCU grads. And so we're on our third round of having FAMU grads at UF's master's program. And that bridge and that connecting has been a win-win for everybody. This has been the Crossman Conversation. Thank you so much for uh, Chair Kelvin Lawson for being our guest. 
And as always, support your local HBCU. This has been Crossman Conversation, produced by a Crossman Career Builders Mark Radio Production. 